You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. starting at verse 9, which is where we left off last week. And we're going to read a bit, and then we're going to skip to chapter 4, verse 12. Not because the stuff in between isn't important. We're going to talk about those in coming weeks. It's more because the stuff at verse 12 is really connected to the stuff uh, that we're reading here. So, all right. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to seek good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you are to suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. And skipping to 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus promised his followers three things. Uh, That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. William Barclay says this in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, and I think it's fantastic. It's a really good explanation of our passage, a nice little summary, and also an explanation of what it's like to really follow Jesus what you can expect as a disciple. And we're continuing in this series called On a Mission of Hope. And this is the sort of thing that sort of demands an explanation of the hope that we have. How can we hold all three of those ideas together? They don't really fit together. What does that really mean to be on a mission of hope even as we suffer? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think suffering maybe is the most surprising part uh, of following Jesus, maybe the least attractive part about Christianity, and so maybe worth talking about. 
especially considering that Peter says in 4.12, do not be surprised, beloved, at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be surprised when you experience real, terrible, miserable hardship, when you are suffering and in pain and it's a constant uphill battle and nothing really seems to be going your way and everybody seems to be against you because you believe in Jesus. That is normal. Normal. We should expect that on a day-to-day basis. And I don't know that we do expect that because things have sort of changed since the time of Peter. And there's somebody I know who really kind of highlights that change. Uh, He goes by the name St. Augustine and uh, is essentially just a sarcastic person on the internet. I think he makes his money that way. He likes to combine um, popular Christian um, kind of preaching and Instagram with quotes from St. Augustine from the fourth century. Uh, Let's see if you can discern which voice is which. Uh, Scripture uses the word flesh in many ways, which there is no time to collect and investigate. You have only so much emotional energy each day. And the next one. Some are devoured by beasts, some by fire, while others perish by shipwreck or drowning so that their bodies decay into liquid. Before you leave the house, you need to make up your mind that you're going to stay positive and enjoy the day no matter what. A great work this and arduous, but God is my helper. If you call yourself blessed, blessing will come. If you call yourself healthy, healing will come. It's a slight difference in those voices. The first one is grim and intense, and you're not really sure that you would like to hear an entire sermon from that person. I don't know what else he's going to say about decaying into liquid, but that doesn't sound like a really good time. And yet, the more you listen, the more I think you can get a sense that this is a wise person who has a lot more to say. There's a depth and a richness to the way that he thinks about what it means to be a Christian in the world we actually live in. And the other voice is much more positive and encouraging. But you also get the sense that it doesn't really have much more to say than those 140 characters, that it doesn't really go beyond those sentences. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Life will be great and grand and wonderful. The person seems to live in a world of wishful thinking. And that's not the same thing as the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's a different thing, wishful thinking and the hope that we have in Jesus. There's a different version, I think, of wishful thinking. It it comes in lots of different forms. Um, Oprah has a version of it. Uh, The people who talk about the power of positive thinking have a different version of it. Uh, Folks in different sorts of religions sometimes, and actually even atheist friends of mine will talk about, I I just, you know, I don't want to focus on the negative. I just stay positive whenever I can. That's not the same thing that we talk about when we talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a very different thing. But the Christian version of this kind of power of positive thinking, uh, you can call the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. And basically the message goes like this. There is someone who loves you. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you so much, you're never going to have a bad day. Never going to have a bad day. Everything's going to go your way all the time. It's going to be great. It's going to be grand. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to get everything you've ever wanted exactly when you want it, exactly how you want it. You'll be prosperous. Life will be good. And to a Christian, that sounds good for a little bit, and then it also sounds wrong, right? It sounds right and it sounds wrong. It's it's like it's half true. And the word for something that's half true about Jesus, uh, the word that we use, heresy. Heresy would be a good word to describe something that sort of describes the God of the Bible, but actually describes somebody very different from the God of the Bible. 
And ultimately what we would say is if you trust someone who looks like Jesus but isn't really Jesus, you've put your hope in the wrong place. Because I can look around this room and I actually know some people who've suffered, seriously suffered, and who trust Jesus. The prosperity gospel doesn't offer us a real hope. The, the real God, the, the God of the Bible is bigger than that God. And I can tell you this from personal experience. I, uh, my own story, actually, when it comes to following Jesus, is long and complicated, and you all hear pieces here and there. Maybe I should just tell it one day. It takes forever, though. So uh, I've lived far too long. That's, that's the real problem. Uh, but I grew up in the church, and I grew up around people who talked about Jesus and who read lots of things from the Bible. And I learned a lot of the things that people talk about when they talk about Jesus. A lot of the right answers and a lot of the wrong answers, that kind of thing. And then I went to college, and I worked with some people with a kind of parachurch ministry who liked to talk about Jesus to people. Uh, so we would go and we would tell high school kids, actually, about the gospel. We would try to explain what Jesus is and, and what, he's had to, what he's done for us, actually. We told lots of stories, good stories about Jesus kind of helping people, healing people. And then um, some time later, I sort of worked with that organization. And a little while later, I was engaged to this girl. Uh, and... I knew I shouldn't marry her, which is a really long story. I was just certain that God did not want me to marry, that if I did, I wouldn't be the person that God wanted me to be. And that was really hard for me because I really wanted to marry her. So it was this just deep struggle in my life. And I'd grown up in the church, and so I sort of knew the right answer between, you know, what God wants you to do and what you're wanting to do. And so I made the right choice. I picked what God wanted for my life. And then I suffered for a long time, not a little while, a long time. And that was surprising to me. And it shouldn't have been, but it was. Because I'd only ever talked about stories where Jesus does nice things for people, and I ignored large chunks of the Bible where we hear things like, yeah, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to pick up a cross and follow him. And, you know, the world hated me, Jesus says. It's going to hate you. Really intense, really negative thing. I mean, stuff like this, right? Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is happening. If people hate you because of the name of Jesus, consider yourself blessed. I was genuinely surprised. And honestly, I went through a long period where I was functionally an atheist. I didn't believe that God existed. And yet I was also really angry because someone had cheated me out of something. And I was angry at somebody. That was my problem. To not believe in God meant that I had to leave well, let God off the hook, because uh, God owed me something. And eventually, and this was a really long time, I came to realize that the God I believed in did not exist. The God I believed in was the prosperity version of Jesus. But there's a real God, and his name is Jesus. It's a really weird thing to be converted from Christianity to an actual Christianity, to walk away from somebody who looks like Jesus to the God who actually looks like Jesus. And I think actually that's something the church is constantly doing, uh, that we have been since the beginning, really trying to figure out who Jesus is and what it actually means to follow him. And you may be realizing that maybe there are bits and pieces of what it is to believe in Jesus that might have gone wrong in your life. And I can just tell you this, the God who wants you to have what you want whenever you want it, however you want it, the God who will never ask you to do anything you don't want to do, there's another word for that God. You. That's, that's who that is. That's who I had worshipped for a very long time me on a grand divine scale under the name of Jesus. And the God of the Bible is bigger than that, richer than that. And that's how we know that there's a, a hope that we can really have in Jesus because the, the hope that we have isn't that God likes me so much that my life will be perfect. The hope that we have is rooted in another world entirely 
in another person entirely, someone who's bigger and smarter and stronger and more powerful than I am. And so when I go through difficult things, I can rely on him to be bigger and more powerful than those things. I can trust, actually, that he might ask me to do difficult or challenging things. He might ask me to give up things that I like doing or do things I don't particularly want to do. And because he's trustworthy, I think that in the grand scheme of things, I will become the kind of person I want to be or I'll do the kinds of things that I want to do. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says things like, you know, he he works all things together for good for those who trust him, for those who love him. And I think I'm, well, a testimony to that in some ways. God has done great things for me. But I can also tell you that I've never been grateful, never been grateful for suffering. I've never particularly enjoyed it. And that's okay too. So to be clear, the God that we're talking about is someone you can trust. But he's also someone who's not squeamish. Uh, Sometimes there's this analogy that Jesus is like a surgeon. Really good surgeons can't be afraid to cause pain to people that they're healing. Because they'd be terrible surgeons. Terrible. I can't, well, I can't make you bleed. That would be terrible for you. I can't cut this ugly piece out of you, even if it's killing you. I just need to leave you alone. I think sometimes the God we want is a God who leaves us alone, even though what we want deep, deep down is to become the kind of people we've always wanted to be, to become the kind of people that Jesus has created us to be. In 419, he says, look, we, if you suffer, entrust yourselves to a faithful creator because he really is faithful, because you really can believe in him. And one of the reasons we're so confident we can believe in Jesus is because God became us and God suffered like we suffered and God walked to the cross for us. And then we saw the power of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The person that Jesus trusted, God the Father, raises him from the dead and that same power is at work in those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. So even when things are really, really dark, we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator. And a strange thing happens. We find that we really can become courageous. Courageous. Jesus promises his followers three things, that they will be entirely fearless, which sounds tricky and, and kind of hard to believe. Um, Peter kicks off in 3.9 by saying things like, don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. Repay with a blessing. Repay with a blessing. Now, Jesus is somebody who said lots of things like this, and Peter is somebody who followed Jesus. Uh, Jesus says things like, when somebody punches you in the face, turn your cheek so that they have a better shot next time. When you see enemies, pray for them and pray for those who persecute you and repay them with a blessing. Now, this is really difficult to do, really courageous work, actually, to suffer because you follow Jesus, to choose to be beaten up and allow someone to continue to do so is a strange thing to be told to do because we follow Jesus. And then he quotes Psalm 34 and he says, look, those who want to see good, those who desire to see life, those who who want good things should watch how they talk and be careful and change the way that they speak. Those who ultimately want to be people who who see good should seek peace and pursue it. And no one's going to hurt you if you do the right thing. But obviously people are going to hurt you when you do the right thing. It's the funny, like he immediately reverses from 14. Like it's good to do the right thing and people will respect that, but also people won't respect that. And I mean, you're a fool if you think you can do the right thing and no one's ever going to get mad at you. It takes courage to follow Jesus. And we know this, right? Because sometimes it means being people who change our habits. Actually, a lot of the time it means that. Being people who say, you know, I, I need to change the way I eat and I need to change the way I've been drinking lately. And, I need to change my my sex life and I need to change my emotional life and I need to work on my financial life and work on the way that I talk to other people and the way I deal with my neighbors, little by little, personally, individually, but also the way we deal with other people, right? Not just the inner religious truth that sort of gives me meaning, but 
the way I deal with other people in public. And that takes courage. There's a friend of mine who works in the insurance industry, and that's a tough place uh, to follow Jesus. It's actually kind of tough to follow Jesus anywhere. Uh, and each and every one of you has jobs and goes, yeah, it's, I, I'm trying to figure out what exactly this means. Uh, but my friend, at one point, um, there were people in his company who were selling insurance on the side and breaking the law and also company policy. And so he was praying a lot about that and went and talked to the people who were doing it, and they laughed at him. Uh, and said, no, of course we're not going to stop, and you're an idiot for not trying to make money in this way. And he thought, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely could use money, but that, no. Um, and then he kept praying and thinking, and thought, I just, I think I need to report these people. And he did. And the company got mad at him for helping them enforce their policy. Because the company didn't like that also a watchdog agency started paying attention. They don't like suddenly scrutiny from the government. That's, you know, they're going to find that we broke laws, we're going to have to pay fines. And other people at the company who hadn't done anything wrong also were annoyed at him because he just sort of made waves and he ruined the situation. Everyone's mad at each other. Just It was easier. Who cares? Let the status quo kind of continue. But the people he reported whew, hate him. Still, this is a long time later, hate him. Now, one guy in particular has taken his photo, put it up on social media, both inside and outside the company, and done everything he can to ruin his reputation, to destroy him, tell people just what a horrible human being this is. And my friend knows... He could take a picture of this guy and talk about how he broke the law and go to maybe a local news channel and talk about the way he's being treated by his company. He could really do some damage. Right? He could repay the way he's been paid. And instead, he goes to work faithfully every day and is gracious to those people and does what he can to pray for them. Hard. It takes courage to live like this. For a long time, for a long time, the church in the West, America, Europe, it's been easy to be somebody who follows Jesus. Let's take America for a moment. It's very easy to follow Jesus for a while in America. This is just history. Because most of the time, you're just a Christian by default. So the only people who aren't Christians are people who are specifically Jewish or specifically Muslim or specifically an atheist. But otherwise, people just assume you're a Christian. And if you kind of blend into the culture around you, you'll sort of accidentally follow Jesus a lot of the time. But that is changing more and more each and every day. And we know that we sort of have this option now of blending into the culture around us that doesn't really look anything like Jesus or becoming a really obnoxious version of Christianity that yells at people a lot and is sort of known for being arrogant and rude and, well, a group of people who talk about us versus them and us is better and them is terrible and these people are going to hell and these people are, and we're sort of holier than thou. And the challenge, and this is something that Tom Wright, a New Testament scholar, talks about, is, is to walk the kind of razor's edge between those two options, between you know, following Jesus so subtly that no one can tell uh, and following Jesus so obnoxiously that no one else would ever want to follow Jesus. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And yet, he says, I'm just going to read the verse to you because it, it's not often quoted. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear. Be careful the way that we represent Jesus in the world. And yet the, the challenge, I think, is sometimes we're so good at being careful that we end up sort of not following Jesus. And there's a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and most of his writing, actually, he writes about being a coward more than just about any other philosopher I know. Uh, he's just, I think, fascinated with the idea. And he says this, uh, this is actually a, a New York Times article kind of riffed on this for me. Um, he probably paid more attention to cowardice than any other philosopher. And one of his main themes is how it evades our attention, how we can avoid looking at cowardice, even when we're kind of experiencing it, and how we evade it. But cowardice is too slippery for an easy definition. It sinks deep into the soul 
and cloaks itself in more appealing clothes, those of humility, and common sense, intelligence, even pride. Don't fear what they fear. That's what Peter says. I think sometimes we know that we have an opportunity to follow Jesus, and we go, yeah, but if I did that, other people are going to think of me as judgmental, and I, just, I sort of have a lot of anxiety about this. And the truth is, I think God's really good, and God's, God's good at kind of representing himself, and I'm just going to back off. You know, I'd love to do that, but if I did that, I don't know. I just think I need to be humble right now and just sort of let that go. Yet common sense, wisdom says maybe I shouldn't speak out right now. Maybe I shouldn't be this kind of person right now. It's really tricky to walk that razor's edge between being the obnoxious Christian and sort of not following Jesus. We don't want to slip into fearing what they fear. The trouble is, if you want to be somebody who follows Jesus, you're going to have to suffer, right? This is sort of something Jesus promises us. But if you want to be somebody who follows Jesus courageously, you're definitely going to have to suffer. Courage is something that almost demands suffering, almost by definition. You have to be willing to walk into a difficult situation in order to be courageous. People who never walk through challenges are not courageous. It's just, by definition, not courageous. To be somebody who's willing to endure suffering and do it in the name of Jesus, to walk through difficult, dark, dangerous situations I don't really want to be a part of that are really painful for me, that takes courage. And you'll find, Peter says, that the more you're willing to suffer for the name of Jesus, the more the Spirit of God moves in you. And you sort of feel ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have in you. Uh, there's this case that was happening in Britain for many years uh, that doesn't really make the news in, England, uh, or in America. Um, there was a flight attendant in 2006, and she went to work one day and wore a cross on her neck. And she got written up for it and was told not to wear the cross again. And she decided she was going to keep wearing the cross to work. And so they suspended her without pay. And she thought about that for a while, and she realized she could quit and she could go work somewhere else. But that was sort of an easy way out. And so she decided to sue, which never sounds like a good idea for Christians, but she decided to sue. Sue the airline, not for money, but to remove the policy so that other Christians at work would be able to also wear a cross and be people who name the name of Jesus. Now, it's really interesting. The airline had no problem with people wearing a hijab, wearing a turban, wearing prayer beads, wearing a variety of other symbols of other faiths or things that were really important to her. She just said that it should be okay for Christians to do the same thing as well. And the British courts struck that down and sided with the airline. They noticed the prejudice and didn't care. And then she took it to the European Court of Human Rights. This took like eight years. And the European Court of Human Rights said, yeah, it's weird. They're discriminating against you explicitly because of your Christianity. And they've already removed the policy because they don't want to get sued again. I think this was wrong. She get on TV and on the news, and she has a lot of opportunity to talk about a lot of different things, and she says, you know, I just feel vindicated that I, I have this opportunity now to be marked by the cross, to let people know who it is that I follow, and to remind myself who it is that I follow. That's all I really wanted to do in the first place. Not slamming her enemies, not saying, look, I won, not saying, look at these bigots over here. Gracious in victory, still talking about the hope that she has in her. What does it look like to be courageous and to follow Jesus, to not be afraid that people aren't going to like us, to not be afraid of the consequences, to be people who genuinely bear witness and yet do it in a gracious, loving way that still bears witness to Jesus. It's a tricky thing to do. There's a lawyer um, named Mark Lanyard who's the head of the Christian Trial Lawyers Association, people who love to argue, uh, and is a Christian. And at one point, he's being uh, interviewed by a national trier magazine, and he says this, 
She wanted to know a lot about how I did things in trial, but perhaps her greatest curiosity was what made me tick. She asked how I handled the pressure. I gave polite and not too heavy an answer, but she pressed deeper. How do you handle the pressure of millions of dollars at stake, of holding an entire family's future and fate in your hands, of knowing the world is watching and knowing so many hope you succeed while so many more hope you fail? She was particularly inquisitive about how I managed to do it with joy and a smile. I finally decided she deserved a fortright answer and she could decide what she printed and what she didn't. I said, Lisa, I don't know how familiar you are with such things, but I really do believe there's a God. I really do believe he knows me and loves me and has set into motion certain definite tasks he wants me to do in helping bring human history to its right conclusions. This is why I don't panic or sweat from the pressure of what I do. My pressure is really simple. I do my best before God. With prayer, I trust him to the consequences. I know when things are tough, when pressures are tight, that I take refuge in the Lord God. I have no good apart from the Lord, nor do I want any. He is my Lord, and I'm at peace with that. More than at peace, I find joy, and I rejoice in that. Christians will be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. Absurdly happy. Peter keeps talking, actually, about the kind of joy that we can find as we follow Jesus. I'm just going to remind you of what the word said again. This is 4.13. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, so that you might also be glad and shout for joy. It's three times in one sentence. When his glory is revealed, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of God, which is the spirit of glory, is resting on you. I think it's really important to go back to the kind of fake theology that we were talking about before. To follow Jesus is not to be somebody who, in the midst of a really difficult situation, pretends like everything is okay. I'm doing great. Inside, I'm doing terribly. But I think if I follow Jesus, I have to pretend that things are good. Otherwise, things could get worse, or God's going to get mad at me. Or things. Not at all what we need to do as people who follow Jesus. That's not the kind of hope that we have. We're people who can genuinely acknowledge, yeah, things are really hard right now. And yet I'm, I'm trusting in God. And the closer we get to the Spirit of God, Peter says, the more we'll be surprised at the kind of joy we find in the midst of suffering and sorrow. The surprising kind of hope for the future. Because we believe that the God who's brought us through things in the past and the God who's brought other people through things in the past is the God who is still working to bring his kingdom into this world. And we're people who live by the values of this other world. We talked about this a little bit in Peter. The kingdom of God is this place where... Everything is upside down. Where blessing and curse get reversed. Where poor and rich get reversed. Where powerful and lowly get reversed. And so we're people who try to live by the values of this kingdom even while we exist in this kingdom and they move at right angles with each other. It guarantees suffering. The more you follow Jesus, the more you can pretty much guarantee that you will suffer. And yet at the same time, the more you follow Jesus, the more confident we are that you'll feel close to Jesus. And the closer we feel to Jesus, the more joy we experience. One of the reasons I think the Christians are surprised by the idea of suffering, some Christians suffer all the time and don't notice because they just feel this weird sense of peace that God's got them and that God's with them. It's a strange, courageous thing that happens for a lot of people. And they go, oh yeah, I guess actually things have been really hard lately and my mom does have cancer and yeah, the job hasn't been so good and I don't really like um, how things have been going financially for us, but I just, I don't know. There's this weird, I just kind of, have this strange hope 
that God is with me, that, that we manage to be people, right? This is what Peter says, who suffer right alongside other people and who don't fear what they fear. We're people who live right alongside other people who go through the same sorts of things, and yet we have a hope that they don't have. We, we live in a world that they're not a part of, and they're genuinely curious about why it is that we're so confident. And when that happens, we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. Uh, this verse, for me, has been used out of context so many times. It's about evangelism. At all times, be ready to give an account of the hope that you have in you. And it never mentions when other people have used it in my life, uh, the suffering that's bound to happen and the fact that it's actually going to be really difficult and that you, you know, don't be fear and don't be intimidated and actually it's going to be really hard in that moment to feel like you can give a good explanation because maybe you didn't go to seminary and maybe things are really hard for you and you're not sure how much glory to give to God and how much to acknowledge. Like, actually, I have been praying a lot lately and have been lamenting a lot lately, but I also trust that God hears those prayers and he's going to make good on it. In those moments, just be ready to talk very sincerely about why you believe in Jesus and what you believe about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You will be amazed at what can happen. I think a really good example of this, about people who find joy and courage in the midst of suffering, are the 21 Christian martyrs. Do you know who these people are? This isn't from thousands of years ago. This is 2015. Uh, you've seen them, actually, before. Uh, they're one of the first videos uh, that ISIS ever produced. So you definitely have seen this picture at some point in the news if you were following the, the beginnings of ISIS. Uh, these were some of the first people ISIS killed, but the problem is that the media mostly focused on the killers and not on the people who were willing to die. Uh, so all of these people are Christians. And basically, they were folks who were living in Egypt and who went to Libya looking for work. They weren't a group of people. They were individuals, a couple of friends and family members who were all kidnapped at different times and places and imprisoned by ISIS and tortured and told if they would give up the name of Jesus or convert to Islam, that they would be spared and otherwise they would be publicly and violently murdered. And they chose to be publicly and violently murdered. They died, actually, uh, and the problem is it's in Arabic, but they, they died uh, as the people of the cross. And that's what this caption says. That's what the leader is describing them as. These are the people of the cross, and that's why we're killing them. And they died with the name of Jesus on their lips and singing Christian hymns, which is profound and powerful. And it, it blew one particular skeptical Western journalist away. Uh, his name is uh, Martin Mosbach, and he went and wrote a book about these people in the, um, years afterward. He thought it was weird that the media only focused on the killers. And so he went and talked to the families of the victims, and he just wanted to kind of live in Egypt for a while and meet a lot of people. And he said, I found this completely different point of view of martyrdom. No lamentation, no mourning, no pity, but instead pride and happiness. This was not seen as an injustice or as an incident that should not have happened. Which honestly surprised me. And I am someone who reads this book all the time. And so I went looking for interviews of some of these people. And this is actually a video of the wife of, uh, well, the widow, I should say, of one of the people who was murdered. Uh, you won't be able to hear the words. Oh, you will. Notice her smile. That's unbelievable. We get to live the same story. No anger at our enemies. We get to live 
we have the privilege of living the same story. That's unbelievable to me. That's the kind of joy and courage that's possible in the midst of suffering for people who really feel close to Jesus, who are constantly trying to follow Jesus and who recognize that that's gonna be difficult, actually, for the same reason that it was difficult for Jesus. That the world we live in does not particularly care for the kingdom of God and is not particularly interested in the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people who follow him will definitely get beat up along the way. And yet we are people who are ambassadors of a better world. Um, would you pull up the picture of the 21 martyrs? So there's something really amazing that happens uh, with the martyrs. And you can't really see because of the picture. Uh, this guy looks different than all of these people. And obviously this isn't all 21. Um, and that's because this guy is from Chad. So actually it was 20 people from Egypt and one guy from Chad who was also in Libya and looking for work. Uh, some people say he's from Ghana, so it's tough to say. But his name is Matthew. And Matthew was not a Christian when ISIS kidnapped him. They kidnapped him by mistake. They believed he was a Christian because he had the name Matthew. And he was imprisoned and tortured in the same way. And they said, oh, essentially, we made a mistake. We'll let you go. And he said, no, their God is my God. Matthew, in being imprisoned along with these 20 other Christians, was amazed that they didn't fear what he feared amazed by the hope that they had and by the reasons they gave for the hope that they had in them. And so when it came time to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew, who'd been a Christian for the weeks he'd been in captivity, said, no, their God is my God. I die with them. That's what can happen. That's what can happen when we are people who genuinely follow Jesus, who are willing to suffer trusting in a faithful creator God who can walk courageously through difficult and dangerous and dark times, knowing that we have a God who's really good enough to bring us through them. A God who's really good enough to bring us joy and peace in the midst of those times. Uh, Jesus promised his followers three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. Friends, that is the promise that you and I have today, and I genuinely think it's good news. It means that we are on a mission of hope even as we suffer, and that we need to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in us. And we'll find that when we do, the Spirit of God is right there with us, that Jesus is right there with us because Jesus is always with people who are in dark and difficult situations. And that's the reason for the hope that we have in us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus.